You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. So whether the market is doing gangbusters or looking more like a dumpster fire, a good, well-rounded stock portfolio is necessary for any investor. Robinhood is a platform that aims to democratize finance for everybody. Robinhood believes everyone should have access to financial markets, so what they did was they built their system from the ground up to make investing friendly, approachable, and understandable for newcomers and experts alike. What I love about Robinhood is that you don't need an account minimum to start. There are zero fees for trading, and you can even purchase cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin and Ethereum. Join today by tapping the link in the show notes to get a free stock. It's just like that. I mean, it's just free, just for signing up. And this free stock can be anything from Sirius XM to Apple or any of the other thousands of other publicly traded companies just like that. You've got everything to gain and nothing to lose. So go get your free stock today by checking out that Robinhood link in the show notes today. Whether you're looking for a comedic retelling of the history of the modern libertarian movement or a dark comedy about the seedy world of American politics, my books, Stay Away from the Libertarians, as well as How to Succeed in Politics and Other Forms of Devil Worship, have been entertaining thousands of readers throughout the world since 2018. Whether you're looking for the next great book on your reading list or considering a funny and captivating book for the politico or history nut in your life, you can grab a copy of either Stay Away from the Libertarians, or How to Succeed in Politics and Other Forms of Devil Worship today on either Amazon or Barnes & Noble Online. Amazon links for the print and ebook editions of both books are available in the show notes. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. So it seems kind of odd. You'd think that at the beginning of this, we would have spoken much more about travel. I know some of you are thinking, where's the on the run and on the run? Well, it's hard when everyone is in the middle of a global pandemic. Hey there, welcome again. As always, it's great to have you here listening today, wherever you are. Most likely at home, maybe going out for that once a once a week grocery run, or maybe you're just like me and you just find yourself wandering around in your car, driving aimlessly, taking advantage of the facts that there's really not many people on the road and gas is cheap. Uh, it's great to be with you. I'm your host as always, Rumsa W. Martinez. It's been a interesting month. I finally went on a vacation. Now, why do I say a vacation? Because it's not what most people would consider really a desirable trip. Uh, I'll get into this in a moment, but needless to say, it was kind of difficult at the beginning of the year planning this because I had a lot more stuff kind of coming to you that was going to be a lot more interesting to kind of give you some behind the scenes stuff. I was actually supposed to go to New York with my girlfriend and we were going to stay with uh, a married couple friends of friends of ours. And uh, they were going to take us into New York City for a few days, and we were going to check out some other places, and I was going to have a whole bunch of fun stuff to talk about and show you. But uh, that happens the week that New York State basically went into phase one lockdown, 
And then I was like, you know, maybe I could save up some of this extra time. She, you know, she, she was dealing with some family stuff. I was like, you know, maybe I can go to Europe. Maybe Europe isn't that bad. And uh, if you're listening to this in Europe, and I know we have quite a few folks listening from the United Kingdom, our cousins across the pond, Scotland and Germany. I don't know how people in Germany found this show, but thank you for listening our German compatriots. Um, I wanted to go to your neck of the woods, Europeans, and, well, apparently you guys had it a lot worse than we had it here, and now we have it worse than you have it over there. Needless to say, my vacation plans really got kind of trampled during this time, but the thing is, I, I had a bunch of vacation days for work that I did not use, and I had planned on using it at this time, so for me, it was a use-it-or-lose-it situation. My one-year anniversary at the Times is uh, approaching. It's probably passed by the time you're listening to it. That, that doesn't matter, but um, I, I wanted to do something that I've wanted to do since college and with everything working out the way it's worked out, I have finally had the opportunity. And what also kind of provoked it was a little bit of inspiration from my friend Tim Young. I've been producing his digital series on the Washington Times Instagram on the road of Tim Young and just kind of seeing him wander around, wander around the country during this interesting period in American history it really did kind of give me the extra kick I needed to finally just say, hey, I'm going to take the plunge. I'm going to go ahead and pack up the backpack, uh, plan a map of places around Virginia, because at least staying in my own state, I'll be relatively close to home if I needed to go home for whatever reason, because of something COVID, riot, murder hornets related. And uh, it'll just be me in a car. Um, it was It was an interesting trip. It was very short. It was only about four days, but I've got to tell you, I've been, I've, I've had some really awesome trips over the years. I've been to, you know, foreign countries. I've seen really cool things. I've swam in the Great Barrier Reef. Um, it's been more sporadically over the last decade than when I was a kid moving around a lot. So as an adult, you know, it kind of kills me not to be able to travel as often. When I was traveling for work, it was really for work stuff. So I got to go to Detroit and Nashville, and I had other places scheduled, but that all got kind of pushed down. So this was really the only opportunity I saw within the near future, at least within this year, to get out and do something fun. And I, uh, I, I talk about it quite often, especially when I'm on other shows with people that don't live in Virginia, but I really do love Virginia. I've lived all over the country, uh, from the Midwest to the Deep South to the middle of nowhere to all the way up here in the Commonwealth. And I've got to say, despite all the crazy things going on in the world, I do truly love Virginia. This really is my home. I'm not a Virginian by birth, but I'm a Virginian by choice. And I do love living here. And I've had the opportunity over the past 12 years I've been living here specifically to go see basically everything you'd want to see uh, in your general touristy mindset. I've been to D.C., I've been to the Smithsonian, I've been to Arlington, Alexandria, Mount Vernon, Monticello. I'd be a terrible, terrible libertarian if I did not see the home of the Sage of Monticello. And uh, for those of you that don't know, I, I lived in Lynchburg for two years. And between that, especially working on campaigns throughout the state, I've basically been to everywhere. There were really only a handful of places that I haven't been. And yes, that includes Danville. I have been to Danville. Um, I do not recommend Danville, but I've been there. I've been everywhere here and there. And after this trip, I 
pretty much been to everywhere except South Boston because South Boston is terrible and even the locals say don't come here. So I will take them at their word and not go there. But this was an opportunity for me to really dig deep. And I, I'm if you're listening to this, you really love just the journey and the adventure of finding things that are usually off the beaten path. And what I wanted to do on this trip specifically was go see things that typically aren't your first or second or even third tourist spot, but they're cool locations nonetheless with cool stories behind them. And I wanted to go check them out because why not? The one good thing about doing this now is one, like I said, gas was cheap. Two, hotels were really cheap. And three, there was really nobody on the roads. I had some traffic the first day leaving the Beltway, but other than that, it was it was pretty empty. I mean, it was kind of scary at some points. It, it gave me a real I am legend vibe. But this was a much needed trip. It wasn't just good for my own mental health. It was good for the soul. And I, I wrote down some things that I kind of want to remember, and I thought I'd share it with you. I don't often bring up notes, but this was, a, this was something where I realized if I don't take notes, I'm going to get lost and all over the place real fast. So bear with me. Um, the first thing that I want to preface this with is it's been a very, very long time since I've gone on a trip alone. I couldn't get any of my family to come with me. They all had stuff going on. I couldn't get any of my friends to come with me. They had stuff going on. My girlfriend had family stuff going on, so that was stuff going on. So the only option I had was just doing it by myself. And to a certain degree, it was probably one of the better choices because I had a lot of time to think and to kind of do the things I wanted. But it was also really good because when you're crammed in a house with people, you all kind of get on each other's nerves and you just need some space. And this was an opportunity for me to find that space. So the one thing that I want to start off with is one, there are fascinating things in your own backyard. I will not tell you how many things that I saw during this trip that I live very close to that I never knew existed. And when I mean close, I mean about two, three hour drive. You got to kind of commit to it if you're going to go there. It's not really an overnight thing, but I was doing a giant circle from, uh, you know, from where I, where I am in Northern Virginia, way down South to Great Falls and then all the way back around. And I ended in Annapolis on the last couple days to go see my girlfriend in Maryland. But um, you know, everything could be done probably in like a day and a half if you started really early and you really wanted to come back. But I, I like stopping at things. I like taking my time. I don't like driving just like I have to hit strict deadlines. So I gave myself a few days to really check these things out. And uh, it, it's amazing. A lot of people say, oh, my hometown doesn't have anything fun. But let me tell you, your state has something fun. If I've learned something from European tourists that I've met over the years, it's that they seem to appreciate really, really random and sometimes really cool things around our country that even we don't appreciate. I think we're so caught up with this idea of going on a grand European vacation or going to some far distant place where they speak another language and they're so completely different from us, we usually see our own backyard as something that's not quite adventurous. And I'd like to be the first person to say, I, I disagree with that. Even within my own state of Virginia, let me tell you, if I ever thought that maybe we were a little bit different from our cousins down south, then this really kind of proved it. And I'm going to get to that throughout. 
But there are fascinating things in your backyard. One of them was the Poly Green Church Foundation in uh, Mechanicsville. Some people call it Meckinsville, Virginia. Basically, this was the site of one of the first non or one of the first non-licensed or non-approved uh, Presbyterian churches in the New World. So we're talking pre-revolution, and this place was. Uh, not only able to get a pass, this was during the time where religious fervor and religious freedom is really being discussed in the New World. They were able to get permission from the state, from the from the Commonwealth government, which is essentially the same as getting a permission from the king over in England to have their non-Anglican church. And this is the church where Patrick Henry, the first governor of Virginia and the famed anti-federalist who said, give me liberty or give me death, this is where he learned about the gospel and where he started learning about the ideas of individual liberty and stuff like that. And at some point during the Civil War, the church was used by a couple Union soldiers um, for sharpshooters, and the Confederacy saw it, and they went ahead and shelled the church. So the church was burned to the ground. So what the locals did in remembrance of the church and what it meant in terms of the founding you know, seeds of liberty for the American Revolution was they created this giant art piece above the foundation of the church. They call it the ghost church because if you're just driving by, it's like you see these giant white beams that make the outline of a church in terms of like, you know, the, the shape of the steeple. And they've got these like floating uh, windows and stuff. And it's just so, it's so eerie in a way. And let me tell you, it's only about a few hours away from my home. It's quiet. That was the thing that really caught me. And I can only say it's quiet because you don't usually think, oh God, this place is quiet when you go there. But this place was just really quiet. And what was odd was I was escaping a storm that was coming by. So you could you could hear the wind for miles blowing and you could hear a little bit of, you know, lightning in the backgrounds. But it was just still. It was it wasn't I, I've been to a lot of like haunted locations and stuff. It didn't feel eerie. It felt peaceful. It really did feel peaceful. And everything is on my Instagram. You just go on Instagram at HeyRemso, and you could see the, the photos of the church uh, foundation. But it's this beautiful art piece that's meant to remember really the, the moment where the fight for religious freedom and the ideas of liberty are really being planted in the American colonies. And it's just one of those places. It's of incredible importance, but because... You know, there's nothing really around there, and because it's really just at the end of the day, just an art piece, kind of like a monument to the congregation that was there. It's not typically the place where anyone would want to jump to um, when you're coming to Virginia. It's definitely not in like the top 10 things I'd tell someone who's only going to be here for a week to go check out. But if you're here longer, or if you live here, I think everyone should go see it, especially if you're a history buff like me. And this is just one of those examples of places that, I mean, it's for free. Um, I was on a pretty tight budget. There were only some places where I had to pay along this journey to, you know, get into. But, you know, this is just an example of something you could just drive up to. You could have a picnic there. It's just peaceful. And th this was the first stop on my trip. And, you know, I remember seeing something like this online. I think it was through Atlas Obscura. I'm a big Atlas Obscura fan. And... I, I knew I wanted to go there for years. Now I was able to finally go there and go there as an adult. It, it was just it was just different. And um, 
you know, this is just an example of one of the many places I went to that I, it's not really one of those places at the forefront of my mind, but when I was going through my list of places I could check out and I saw it up there, I was like, you know what, go see it, take a, take a selfie and move on. Let me tell you, finally going there and getting to walk around and read the signs that talked about the history and stuff, getting to see it, getting to stand within the the church foundation. I mean, it felt it felt good. It felt like I I was better for being there. And it's just one of those things that, you know, seeing a picture of it online is nice, but actually getting to go there it's a it's a unique experience. People that really like to do stuff like that can tell you. It's just, it's better when you're there. It's better when you get to say you've been there. Uh, secondly, you know, like I mentioned, this is, this is stuff all in my own backyard, my own state of Virginia. Don't let fear dictate your decisions. Um, I had plenty of conversations with my parents and my friends about whether or not it was a wise decision to travel. And they were all very, very good you know, legitimate decisions. Will it be safe from both civil unrest and the current pandemic we're in? And they, they're all very valid claims. I don't argue with them, but it, it just got to the point where it's like, I, I really had to look back at other opportunities I had prior to this to go. And I'm thinking, what, what, will the, what will the world look like a year from now? I could certainly tell you on January 1st of this year, I did not see things going this way. But it just got me thinking. There are always going to be threats out there. There are always going to be things going on that will deter me from going. And yes, there are better opportunities to do stuff like this. But I had to look at the positives. One, I had is vacation time. Use it or lose it. Two, gas and hotels are cheap. Three, restaurants throughout the state, because uh, Northern Virginia was in phase one, while the rest of the Commonwealth is in phase two. I, I had the opportunity to actually get out and you know stre- stretch my legs and socialize a little bit, even in our social distanced culture. Um, in a way, it was almost like things finally lined up. For me to do this. So despite all the bad, there was a lot of good with it. It was a lot cheaper doing it this way than if I had waited when things were, quote, safe. So that's that's definitely one thing that you need to consider. Unless, you know, we're in the middle of a zombie apocalypse, a civil war, uh, Yellowstone National Park blows up, four horsemen come down, stuff like that, then yeah, you might, you might want to stay home. But in situations like this, where I was really just going to be by myself a majority of the time, like 99% of the time, it was, uh, it, it kind of added up for me. Uh, third, when you're doing a solo road trip like this, it you will always be amazed of the stuff you find. And like I mentioned, I knew about the Polygreen Church, but I had never really learned about it. It's like I, I heard about it in passing, but I didn't really know much about it. And I've lived here for, you know, 12 years. So... To my surprise, here I am thinking, I know everything. I know all the cool places, all the places you need to hit up, and yeah, I know some of the backwater places. There are still places in Virginia that I had no clue existed. One of them was Shelby Plantation. It's this beautiful plantation home outside of, I think it's Fredericksburg, and let me tell you, wine country, wine country in Virginia is its own beauty itself, and... Uh, you know, like a few miles down from Shelby Plantation 
um, is another plantation home. I, I don't know about you, but I actually enjoy taking tours of old homes. It's something my parents did a lot with my brother and I, and at the time I did not appreciate it. But the older I got, the more I realized this is something I really like to you know, do because the more you learn about the places people lived and how they lived, the more it really, you know, blows up your idea of history when you're actually getting to see the places where people lived. And it gives you an extra layer of context that very few things manage to do. Um, I had gotten to Shelby uh, with enough time to run around the grounds a little bit and take some beautiful photos. You could see the James River flowing in the background. It was absolutely beautiful behind behind the plantation home itself. And um, if I had been there just like a, an hour earlier, I could have actually gone into the home and give myself a self-guided tour for free because they were doing uh, free grounds tours admissions for Juneteenth. That's something I did not know about, but it's something I want to go to uh, eventually with my girlfriend or even maybe my parents they they love that stuff um things like this i mean they don't really promote themselves i don't even think they have some basic social media so the fact that i had to literally drive past it and they see the sign on my way to petersburg that was where i spent my first night that was the only way i was ever gonna learn about it um I could, you know, Virginia plantations, I can only think of a couple and none of them were out there. So really one of the cool things about taking a road trip like this is you're going to find stuff that you've never thought about, you know, even slightly piquing your interests. And I didn't get to go visit the other plantation home, but now I've got more things to do. I'll go back to Shelby and walk around and I'll go check out that other place. The things you learn, the things you learn. It's just about going out there and just being open to stopping. And, you know, the one thing about doing a solo road trip is you didn't have to, I didn't have to ask permission. I could just do it. Um, it, it made everything so much easier and, you know, that, that's that. You never know what you don't know. And four, uh, don't let weather deter you. This is actually something I, <laughs> I probably messed up on. Uh, I did not check the weather before I left. And typically when you're going to be on a road trip of all things, you want to prepare for weather. So here I am thinking, oh, I'm escaping the storm because it's going up north and we've got a little bit of it traveling south past Fredericksburg. I will be fine. I was My first day I was driving to Petersburg. It was about three and a half, four hours away. And I was stopping at stuff in between, like Polly Green, and I stopped at uh, Shelby Plantation. But um, when I got to Petersburg Battlefield, it was one of the most vicious battlefields of the Civil War. It was actually starting to rain, and you know the clouds were coming in. It was really creepy. Uh, what was creepier is I was the only one there. And if you have not been to Petersburg Battlefield, the really cool thing about it is it's kind of like Gettysburg if you've been there um, in Pennsylvania. You can drive around, and you could stop at different places. So it's not like you're walking around the entire time. It's really more of like a driving tour. It's huge. And they have setups of where the mortars and the cannons were and where some of the embankments were where, you know, they would go ahead and move rifles and transport men in between different um, different areas of the battlefield. It was really crazy. It's really crazy to see that stuff. I mean, you never really know what it is like for a soldier having to deal with that until you see the, the crazy conditions. And, I mean, I, I've seen 
photos of like what the trenches looked like in Europe and stuff from the first world war that was known as the trench war, but they were really digging down in Petersburg. The, the, the Confederacy was really trying to hold back the union forces coming through. So, you, I mean, you get to see a lot of that. It's absolutely like, I did not think it was going to be as cool as it was. It was, but like I was saying, as soon as I got there, the rain came and what was really odd, and I mean, I, I know I'm probably going to be one of the few people that actually will say I enjoyed this, but I actually did kind of enjoy it with the rain. Uh, one, I'm in my car, but secondly, um, you know, you just start to realize little things. Like, when we go to these places, uh, usually it feels like just an outdoor museum. It's really hard for things to kind of come alive. Uh, some of the trails that I went on were closed off because of recent flooding and other things. But uh, the one thing that I can tell you is if you want to know what it was like for a soldier in the worst position possible, which is being in a theater of active, very violent, bloody combat, know that they were there when the weather was the hottest and when it was raining the most. Uh, ask anyone who's ever served that and they will tell you. And when I got there, it was hot and, you know, the, the thermostat was blown up. And then as soon as I was like, hey, I want to go really look around the rest of the battlefield, it started raining. It adds a different perspective to it. And in a way, it really kind of brought the battlefield to life because here you are really kind of in the conditions that it's in. And what was also pretty cool was there were some up, there were like a few other people leaving around the time I showed up. As soon as it started raining, they were just out of there. So I actually got to go around and see things by myself. When you're by yourself at a battlefield, it feels different. It's almost like your own little adventure. So getting to experience it with that rain and thunder and everything and getting to really be there by myself, just soaking it in, soaking it in just taking in the environment around me. It, it was it was an experience like no other. I will say that. Um, it, it really, I, I think it was better that way than if I'd gone there when the weather was nice and everything else. I don't know. It was almost like a, a performance by nature. So don't let the weather deter you. Luckily, I didn't need an umbrella or anything. I had a hoodie with me, and I was in my car most of the time. So when it wasn't raining, I was able to jump out. And when it started to rain, I was able to just run back. It was pretty cool that way. So just don't, don't, you know, don't sweat the small stuff. Be in the moment. Take, take, it, take it as an adventure. Really, really do. You don't know how it's going to be. The weather's not always going to be perfect. But sometimes in moments like that, the weather might actually make an experience better in the ways you least expected. Um, the next point, and this is probably going to be the most controversial, so I'm going to try and really watch my words as I say this. Understand this. Um, you know, I come from a military family. I have lived all over this country, and when you're in the field of uh, media and journalism, you have to try and be as nuanced and objective about things and really understand the context behind what's going on in front of you and around you if you want to be good at what you do. And the one thing I saw a lot of in Virginia, where you guessed it, there are monuments for the Civil War everywhere. And there are a majority of them uh, Confederate monuments. As a historian, I love seeing those things. I love reading the history. I love learning why they're there. 
as somebody who's a critic of, you know, certain aspects of our culture that might not be beneficial to where we want to be as a nation, I understand why some people are upset. But let me tell you this. For a lot of these people, especially in the backcountry of Virginia, when they say this is their heritage, and I'm not talking about the folks like me who came in and we live in Northern Virginia, it's basically its own state. Understand this. When you're down there and you're in those towns, a lot of those people did have relatives that fought for the South. A lot of those people have been in those towns for generations. So really, what is the town and what's there, good or bad, it's part of them. And the other thing to remember is this. Why are they there? Yeah, you've got some people that bring up the fact that it was uh, a form of, you know, generating the lost cause narrative. That's why you see Confederate monuments like way up north and, you know, places that were not part of the Confederacy. But at least in places like Virginia, it makes sense for the people to have wanted to put them up. And the one thing I saw time over time over time when I'm reading these plaques that are on these monuments are the long lists of names that are etched on there. And these are people who fought for the South from those towns who died. And the sad thing about war is that people are forced into very terrible situations. When you look at a majority of the people that were fighting for the Confederacy in the Civil War, what you had were a lot of poor white people. And they did not own slaves. And if you look at a lot of diaries and journal entries and accounts from Civil War veterans, they were not fighting for slavery. Of course, let's not be ignorant. It was a big factor of the Civil War. That I can't deny. But not to get too much into the weeds of it, the people that were ultimately charging hills and shooting across trenches and stuff like that, they, they thought that they were just fighting for, their, for themselves. And it's sad that war does things like that and war forces people into those positions. And I was at one town, um, I was in Buckingham County where they had a monument and as I learned, that monument was there for hundreds and hundreds of men. Now, remember this, a lot of towns in the South, even today, are maybe a couple thousand people. So when you look at the names of these people, of these young men and older men who died, in some cases, that was all the men from an entire town. And a good chunk of them never came back. That causes generational problems. And that is stuff that we're not, as, as many people say about the issues and stuff we're facing now, we're not that far removed. So I understand the context of this in ways that I would not have understood it otherwise until I finally really started to hop from place to place, stop, read, and just take it in. Because a lot of these towns, that's really all they have. In Virginia, we have a giant, giant opioid crisis. Town after town, there were already large numbers of businesses that were dying because of economic reasons. You have something called the youth flight, 
Uh, it's, you know, it's referred to in different ways, but basically where all the young people are like, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to go somewhere I could live a prosperous life and it's not here. And they leave and they leave mom and dad and grandma and grandpa behind. And then the town just kind of dies off. These are communities that are already having enough problems. And then for other people, and I'll even throw myself included, who are not native Virginians and are not part of their communities to, to have all these outside influences come in, try and tell them what to do with their town. It, it, you, you should understand why they get upset. You don't have to like it, but you can understand it. And as I see those monuments as somebody who's not a Southerner by birth or really by heritage, it's really a culture I've adopted since living in Virginia and having gone to a military school in Alabama where the Corps of Cadets did fight for the Confederacy. I, I see it as monuments to a warning, a warning of the cost of war, because war is the most terrible thing on earth. It is the most terrible thing. And as a society... We should aim to never try and rip out our brothers' throats or burn down our neighbors' lands. We should avoid war at all costs, and not just with each other, but with others. War has a cost, and the Civil War is an example of the cost at home on a scale that I pray we never encounter again. So just getting to see that really, especially during this time where so many things are going on, it just provided me context and understanding of the other side of this argument. Now, I didn't talk to anyone about it. This is just, this is just what I saw, and I understand it. I know, in, I know in West Virginia, which separated from Virginia because it did not want to be a slave state and it did not want to be part of the Confederacy, I understand it's weird having Confederate monuments there. If you want to take down Confederate monuments in West Virginia, I... I understand that. Uh, there's a petition a few of my friends in West Virginia sent me to replace every Confederate statue in West Virginia with a statue of the Mothman. I am so down for that. Uh, you know, I'm not from West Virginia, so I'm not going to sign that. But if you're from West Virginia and you want to sign that, that would be pretty cool. Monuments to Mothman in West Virginia. But, uh, but yeah, there's that. Um, next point. I mentioned earlier, you know, I went to a lot of places that aren't tourist traps, but really... If let's say you've, you know, you live in a state for a while and you've been to all the popular things and Disney World is not on your list and you're like, I'm going to do something in my own state, really try and pay attention to the places that aren't really tourist traps. One of those places, much like the Poly Green Church or Shelby Plantation or Petersburg Battlefield, uh, this was over at Natural Bridge. This was a few days into my trip. Um, it's called Dinosaur Kingdom 2. And why is it Dinosaur Kingdom 2? Because apparently, and this is actually within my town, within like a few counties over from where I live, there's a place called Dinosaur Land, which is a whole bunch of like, you know, giant life-size dinosaur models and mannequins and stuff. So this is the sequel to it, Dinosaur Kingdom 2. And it's, it's crazy. It is like something, this is one of the places you have to pay to go into. I think for like kids, it's free for adults, it's like, you know, 10 bucks or something. But um, wow, this is this is a crazy place, and basically, it's uh, it's made by this guy. I think his name is Mark Klein or something. He's a he's like the Barnum 
of Virginia almost. And he's done stuff all over Virginia. He built uh, Foamhenge, which used to be in Lynchburg. It's now in Centerville, Foamhenge. Uh, he would put up like, you know, Bigfoot in random places. He built a giant robot machine that's over in Buena Vista. It's an alien commanding like a giant transformer robot thing. And then he has uh, Dinosaur Kingdom 2. And Dinosaur Kingdom 2 is unlike its cousin, Dinosaur Land, because Dinosaur Kingdom 2, and remember all these photos over at my Instagram, at HeyRemso, uh, but Dinosaur Kingdom 2 is basically like this little park you walk through where basically you could see dinosaurs fighting Union soldiers. And it is literally that. It is so wild and funny you're seeing triceratops you know ram into union artillery you're seeing um you know raptors corner union soldiers and then you see stonewall jackson who for those of you that did know stonewall jackson right before he died he had his arm shot off in battle you see stonewall jackson the confederate general with a robot arm fighting a t-rex and it's one of the most metal things i've ever seen uh, so metal people did not think that I was actually there and that the place was real as I'm posting photos of it. And I was there and I mean, they, they get people gear around. I, I asked one of the people that worked there. So, I mean, they're able to stay in business and they were closed for a little while because of the whole uh, COVID situation. But I mean, it's just one of those places where if you go bring people because families and, you know, groups of friends I saw there, they had a ton of of fun i was there by myself but man like that is one of those places where it's not necessarily a tourist trap but if you go there your friends who didn't know about it are certainly going to be jealous let me tell you um next point take the back roads really i i avoid highways like the plague i think if you really want to get to know somewhere you take the back roads and i did that yeah added some extra time to my trip but I mean, the beautiful thing about Virginia is you've got the Shenandoah Mountains. It is just beautiful, beautiful country. Get trapped in these forests and, you know, just drive to the point where you're going to lose connection. It's absolutely beautiful. But through that, um, not only was I just able to surround myself with quiet, lonely nature and just be alone with my thoughts in the good audiobook, but I was able to find things that I would have never found um, one, I found Robert Ely's campsite. I think it's called uh, Lee Village near Wayside or something like that. But it's basically um, the site of Robert Ely's campsite right before he went to go surrender to General U.S. Grant in Appomattox, uh, a town over. And, you know, it's just a little, little plot of dirt. Uh, they've got like this little old village of homes and places from around like the, the the mountain side of Virginia that they formed to really show you what Virginia culture was like during that time that was closed but you know outside of the gate where that is uh, you saw the marker that said General Ari Lee's uh, final campsite and it was it's just one of those moments where it's like no one talks about this you'd, you'd have to really dig into it to find it. And I went there thinking that that little mock village would be open. Um, it wasn't. But I was able to see that and take a photo of it. And people got a kick out of that. And I get why. I like history nerds. Trust me. I, I get it. But it's just one of those things where it's like if I wasn't really like out in the sticks, 
what what are what are the odds? Like really, I I, I would have never thought of finding that in a million years, but. I did. Uh, the second thing was I found an old car museum in Petersburg. Photos of that are online too. They've got that that RV from Stripes. If you remember the Bill Murray movie Stripes, that was there. Just you know, a bunch of old jalopies. It was just it was just cool. I like taking photos of that stuff. And then um, you know, I I was finding I was trying to find this place called the Lotus, the Light of Universal Truth, the the Light of Truth Universal Shrine. It's in a Yogiville, which is in Buckingham, and it was closed. Every all the I I checked. I promise you, I checked to see if they were open, and you know, I didn't check again because then they updated the site. And when I was there, you know, I couldn't go see it. But I'm driving by, and what do I see in the middle of this row? I see this beautiful turtle walking in the middle of the road i'm you know it's a dirt road i'm in the middle of nowhere i see this turtle and i love animals i go out and take a photo of it it's got this beautiful red shell it's just one of those moments where it's like you know yeah i didn't come for this but this is pretty cool and i got to scoot it over so if any other cars were coming they wouldn't be able to do it but you know small moments like that just appreciate it it, it was it was it was funny. It was beautiful in a way, but I mean you don't get that unless you take those back roads, and it offers really a journey in itself. Um, next point: be willing to change your plans, especially on a solo road trip like this. The only person you're accountable to is yourself, unless you've got real hard deadlines, reservations, or something like that. Just go off the flow. I I was going Natural Bridge really to see uh, Dinosaur Kingdom. I thought it was gonna be a longer part of my day, but. Um, I actually stayed at the Natural Bridge Hotel. It was nice. People there were friendly, had a good time. And it's within, you could just walk outside and right in front of the hotel is the entrance where you can go ahead and pay a, pay a ticket to go walk the Natural Bridge grounds. I, I heard about it when I lived in Lynchburg, but man, let me tell you, photos do it no justice. You do not know how small you are. When you see that natural stone formation just right above you. And I I was told that a lot of people would be there. I was told it was going to be more expensive than what it was. I think I only paid like $8 to go down and walk under it and see all the other stuff. But it was, it was cool. And the weather wasn't that terrible either. Um, I mean, you just get to see this beautiful uh, stream that combines with this giant river that goes under the stone bridge and it just goes on for miles. They've got a salt peak cave that you can go lurk under. They've got this uh, uh, J.R. Tolkien quote that just mysteriously appeared one night. They don't know who did it there on the side of this uh, giant stone face on the trail. Um, they've got a, a Native American exhibit, which was closed, but you could still see like the little huts and the little, uh, little crops that they started growing there. I mean, it was just, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to actually go see that. And I did it not anticipating that that was going to be part of my trip. I was like, oh, it's a tourist trap, but really it was, it was worth it. And I was able to do that and go dinosaur kingdom all in the same day. And still have time to chill in between it. So, I mean, just be open to things changing. Just like I didn't know that Shelby Plantation was around. I stopped just to take some photos. You know, that was a good three, four hours at a natural bridge just by myself hiking, uh, walking those trails and seeing everything. It was just so much fun. And now in terms of the more nuanced stuff, um, (laughs) 
I'm, I'm going to tell you, ignore your parents' advice. Talk to strangers. Really, talk to strangers. The beautiful thing about the Natural Bridge Hotel is that there are fire pits in the back. So you can go ahead and you know pull up a chair and just warm yourself by the fire. You're on this hill, and you can see the mountains and the bridge formation. It's just beautiful, and it's quiet country. It's It was so awesome. And uh, you know, I had some folks join me at the fire pit I was at. Uh, it was this awesome family from Richmond and another family from Williamsburg. And, you know, despite all the crazy stuff going on in our country culturally and stuff, I mean, the folks from Richmond were African-American. The folks from Williamsburg were this really nice Russian family with a couple of young kids. And, I mean, we, we just talked and hung out and drank and made s'mores. And for, for a moment, oh, nobody was wearing a mask and nobody was social distancing. It almost made you feel like everything was right in the world again. And there's a, a story that the one Russian guy told me. He showed me this photo. As soon as they actually sat down on the bench next to me at the fire pit, somebody had sent them a photo of this car near their neighborhood that was driving. And apparently as they were driving, a giant oak tree fell on them and killed them. Uh, these are the people in front of the folks that took the photo to send to him, not the people that were driving and sending it, because then they'd be dead. But anyway, um, he showed me that. He's like, oh, my gosh, dude, look at what my neighbors just sent me. Those folks under the tree in the car are dead. And it was it was just one of those moments where it's like, you know, we're so worried about how we're going to die from the, immediate th- from the immediate things we're told to be afraid of. And those people were probably just driving home and they got killed by a tree. Kind of Kind of puts things in perspective for you. But you know, it was it was a beautiful time, and I, I don't think I I don't think I got anyone's name. I'm pretty sure one of that one of them was Peter, but I mean it, the Russian guy's name was Peter, something like that. But you know, we all had fun. We were just there just to get away from the craziness of everything, and we were just we were just people. We were just people enjoying nature and enjoying each other's company, and it was it was just a beautiful afternoon. It's one of the most fun nights I've had in a very long time. And, uh, you know, I, I've done this when I travel elsewhere. Talk to the person next to you. Get to know them. You might make friends long term. You might never see each other again. But there's just something about talking to people. Just, you know, be more open. If you embarrass yourself by talking about something you didn't want to talk about, you'll never see him again. So, I mean, just, just be open to that. You have a little little bit of faith in people. Naturally, I'm a pretty pessimistic person. I don't like to really open up to many new people, but when you're doing something like this, take a chance. Talk to a stranger. Worst case scenario, nothing happens. Best case scenario, you might make a friend. Um, next point, leave work at home. And I, I am terrible at this. Uh, I tend to work for my day job, even on my days off. And I've got like 20 million side hustles. And one thing I told myself I was going to do was I was going to take some of the downtime I had alone to write the manuscript for another book. And let me tell you, my goal was to finish the trip with a completed manuscript. And I got absolutely nothing done. And that was the best move I could make. Because what I did do in my free time at the hotel was either listen to podcasts and chilled out and stuff, or I watched movies. I watched a ton of Clint Eastwood movies. I watched the good, the bad, and the ugly for the first time in years. And honestly, what I needed, especially right now where I'm working from home, so it's like I can't even escape it. Now my sanctuary of peace is now just another office space for me. Just really disconnecting from having to feel productive at all. 
it was the best thing I could do for myself. So if you're going on vacation, even a little thing like that, leave the work at home, even work you put on yourself. And uh, I'm down to the last two points. You know, this I heard a quote from somebody I, I, I definitely respect their work. I won't dob them out here and embarrass them. But, you know, keep some things for yourself. Uh, there were moments of this trip that I couldn't photograph, that I didn't want to type out a long post. We're, we live in a culture where it's like if you can't show it, you can't, you know, post it, it didn't happen. But there were plenty of things like that. Like one thing that happened, there's this little farm at Shelby Plantation with a bunch of donkeys on the way out. So I want to take a photo of the donkeys. I saw a bear run behind the shed, a fucking grizzly bear. It was crazy. And it was, it must have been a cub. It, it was, it wasn't big enough to be an adult, but it was still noticeable. And I saw that and I was like, oh shit, no one's going to believe me. And for a minute, I'm like, I should drive near it and try and take a photo of the bear yeah, moron, that's a good idea. I didn't do that, but it was just one of those things where it's like, this is so random. And now I'm worrying about whether the donkeys were safe, but that's a whole other thing. Um, just keep some things for yourself. It's part of that adventure. It's part of that moment. There, there's a scene in one of my favorite movies, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, where uh, Sean Penn's character is in like the, the mountains of somewhere, I think in like Afghanistan or something. It's snowing or something. And he's really high up and He's, he's been tracking down this snow leopard that's rarely seen or photographed. And Walter Mitty is, you know, he's found Sean Penn, and he's like, oh, one second, Walt, I got, I got to take a photo of this thing. And as the, as the leopard comes out, Sean Penn is about to take the photo, but he just stops and he sits up and he just stares at it. And Walter's like, dude, what, are you going to take the photo or not? And Sean Penn is like, you know what? Moments like this, I just keep for myself. And I didn't get it when I saw that in theaters six, seven years ago. But I saw the movie again recently, and that incident with the bear cub was just one of those moments where it's like, you know what? Just don't don't worry about the camera. Just take it for yourself. I had a lot of little moments like that because I just tried... You know, some things are fleeting. Yeah, some some things you look back and you're like, shoot, I wish I had taken a photo. But you know, keep some things for yourself. There there are stories and stuff that I won't tell people, not because I'm uh, there. There's a secret or anything, but just because it's like you know what, keep that for you. There may be a time and a place later, but keep some things for yourself. And lastly. Um, I was going to be on the road a lot longer than I wanted to, but when I got to Harrisonburg and I had gotten there early and I went to this place called the Barbersville Ruins in Barbersville, um, you got to check out the photos of those ruins. Basically, and this will be my last tangent before I get to the final point, uh, the Barbersville Ruins were uh, owned, well, they were. it was originally the Barbersville Mansion. It was owned by uh Virginia Governor James Barber, and the basically the mansion was designed by Thomas Jefferson himself. It was supposed to be a mini Monticello, and basically um, they built it. And a few years later, on Christmas Eve, somehow it was able to somehow catch on fire, and the whole thing basically fell apart. But what you see left is a lot of the brick and iron work. And it's just crazy. It does not look like it should be here in the middle of this farmland, which is connected to a winery. But it's just so crazy going there. And um, 
it was just one of those things where, you know, as a photographer, if you're a photographer in Virginia or around Virginia, you got to check out these ruins and then go to the winery afterwards. I, I hear they have a wonderful restaurant. Didn't try the food. But anyway, I went from there and I went to Harrisonburg. And while I was while I was in Harrisonburg, I got done early. And at this point, I'm like, you know, I've got another couple days on my trip. I'm just I'm just lonely. And something serendipitous kind of happened when I had started uh, days prior. I saw a video online of the Alaska National Guard airlifting the magic bus from its place in the middle of the woods of Alaska elsewhere. I don't know where they put it. For those of you that don't know, the Magic Bus was the final place where um, a fellow by the name of Chris McCandless traveled to live in the woods. He was there for about 116 days, and basically he died in the bus from starvation. And people would go there to that bus to basically try and reenact and relive what life was like out there. And there are some great travel blogs. Um, one of the best books I've ever read, Into the Wild by uh, John Krakauer, talks about Chris McCandless and his journey across America and finally to unknowingly uh, die while living out in the middle of nature in Alaska. But Chris McCandless, in his final diary entry and somewhere in the bus, wrote something. I don't know if this was a him quote or if he took the quote from somebody else. But he, he wrote, happiness is only real when shared. And, uh, you know, seeing that happen on the first day of my trip and then watching, uh, you know, documentaries and vlogs of other people's experience trying to get to the bus and what that whole trip meant to them and stuff like that, it got me thinking about it. And I was thinking about it a lot. And then I really felt lonelier, especially trying to see that quote, happiness is only real when shared. I'm happy I went on my trip, but it would have been funner if I had somebody there with me. I know that nobody really had the chance. I'm not bitter about it. But it was something that was just kind of, you know, tugging at my heartstrings. Um, when I was leaving Natural Bridge, a friend of mine messaged me on Instagram under the Dinosaur Kingdom photos and was like, I am totally going there tomorrow with my family, with my wife and my kid. And what did he do? He ends up going. And he went to Dinosaur Kingdom and had a fun time. Then they went to Natural Bridge, which I highly recommended they do after that. And they had a fun time there. And it just seemed different. They did everything I did, but they did it together. And they enjoyed it. And as I was looking at those photos, and I was comparing it to my experience, I realized... It was more real to them because they could experience it with themselves. So I started getting really kind of lonely. And what did I do? I, pr I made what is perhaps the best decision. I drove down a few days early to Annapolis. I spent the remainder of my vacation days with my girlfriend. And we had a great, beautiful, loving time together. Not working, not worrying, just enjoying our time together. We did some gardening. It wasn't how I thought I was going to spend the last couple of days of my trip. But... I wouldn't trade it for the world because happiness is only real when shared. So those are my lessons from my first solo road trip around the beautiful state of Virginia. Let me tell you, if you ever need advice for this state, I've been basically everywhere but South Boston because South Boston sucks. So 
Any comments, concerns, criticisms, hit me up at HeyRemso, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm usually on Instagram. Or you can find me nine times out of ten on Parler, P-A-R-L-E-R, at the App Store. You can follow me at Remso. I'm the only Remso there. If you ever see at Remso 2 pop up on Parler, message them. Call them a loser. As always, you're listening to On The Run. I'm Remso W. Martinez. Good night. Check out our other shows and more from the We Are Libertarians Network at wearelibertarians.com.